0: If I had it my way, at, when the lights came up, I would have a long line or multiple lines of all of the uh, the leaders for First Youth up here. That's, that's an effect of um, countless number of leaders, and I say countless just many years now. We've been doing small groups for seven years, and we've been doing Wednesday nights for a long time, and we've got people doing snack shop, people who help out with events, we've got people who... The one day I walked up to the fire pit and there was a whole bunch of split wood that was ready to burn, just stacked to the rafters all the way out there. I didn't ask anybody. They just knew that we did bonfires during the fall and uh, in the spring. That was done. There's so many people. That, all that good stuff. I'm more of a fraud than anything, okay? I apologize for being up here almost, okay? Because so, they, they do texting, long conversations, and they're, they go visit games and stuff, and then I just show up and, you know, like, haha, I'm the face of the youth ministry, you know? Like, they just do so much for your teens, if you have a teen or or a grandkid or whatever, they do so many great things and um, we love them. I wish I could have like a a list of them or something like that of just, if this was an award ceremony, I'd spend the next 10 minutes just like working my way through all of the names because they've done so many great things over the years. And uh, yeah, we're just proud of them and and, uh, happy to have your teens. Well, what I want to do this morning here, over the next 30 minutes is I want to share with you the first message we did uh, during the winter retreat up at Three Springs. So we take our small group students, those who have committed to small groups and been around for a little while, and we take them uh, to the middle of the state where there's no cell service. And um, we... Uh, <laughs> it's a, kind of a joke. Um, we, we take them up to the, there and, and we, we sit down with them, we do long conversations of, uh, off of messages and Bible studies and we ask them uh, things about home and life and uh, just being away changes perspective and how people see things. And, and what they're thinking about, and it's, it's phenomenal. So um, we challenged them. This is just the first message in that, and, uh, and it was encouraging to them, and unfair, because again, as the preacher, you just get to dive into these texts and read, and um, the teens at Three Springs get to do that. So the, the leaders have done a phenomenal job over a long period of time. Um, let me start by saying that I, was, uh, I went to Pine Haven. I'm gonna show you this picture. This is actually Pine Haven, uh, the lake that they have out front. I think right now they're like a resort, uh, campground for, for really nice fifth wheels and stuff but when we were kids um, they let the unwashed masses in with tents and stuff and we would just run in there set up hang out and, uh, and we would camp for like a week there Uh, It was, it was incredible. You would go to the beach, you'd come back and they had this lake out front and right near the bottom where you have the fountain is a lot of this like mucky uh, live bottom to it but there's fish so you could go down there and fish and then on the other side far up on the picture there was a playground and a snack shop and a game room and uh, the shallow end of things that you would play and then where you can't see it over on the right top of the picture is this metal slide. That's right, metal. It was steel, it was American and it went from the top of the hill all the way into the water. And when we were kids, it looked like, and it probably was and still is, like two uh, playground steel slides that they welded together, sanded down, said, there you go, have some fun. And we did. It was great. It was, it was an absolute blast for us to go there. And it was deeper on that end because you were, you were going down there. And uh, as you got older, that slide became more and more important. As you were a kid, it was easy. You would go to the far end with your family, and uh, you'd play on the playground, you'd splash in the water, and that would be it. But over time, you'd look at that slide, and it would become more and more enticing. And I can remember watching people go on the slide. It felt like they climbed up Mount Everest, and then they went on the steel slide for like a mile, and then they hit the water at Mach 4, and they just kind of skidded across the water, you know, down near the live bottom where the Loch Ness Monster lived, and then you'd swim as fast as you can so you didn't get eaten, and then uh, you'd go to the shallow end, and it was awesome. You'd do it again and again and again. But at first, you never did that. I didn't do it my first time there. I think it took summer after summer after summer of seeing that slide, wanting to do it, and not doing it. I can remember walking up one time, more than one time, let's be honest, a few times, walking up to the slide, seeing the long line, standing there for a minute and being like, ooh, I gotta go, and then going back. And my parents saying, Kyle, what happened? You were supposed to go down the slide. I thought you were going down this year. No, nah, there's a really long line, and they're, uh, they're probably gonna close soon. So Kyle's nine in the morning. Yeah, it's weird, right? So uh, yeah, no slide this year. So sorry about that. And then I'd go up again and like peer down and be like, you know, I'm only like eight. Like I got so much to live for. I don't need this slide, you know, and I'd go away. But eventually it got to a point where I hit the slide and I went down and I swam. I survived. I'm here. I survived the Loch Ness Monster, the Mach 4 speeds. And it was awesome. Going down that slide was so cool. We would do it again and again and again. It was great. We did it every summer. It was awesome. But it took time to get there. We, my first day was not, we're here. It's time for the slide. I couldn't do it. That's just how it takes, that's just what it takes to get to the point of doing big, scary things. Going from the shallow end to the deep end. Going from being a little kid. Going from, going from being immature and young and scared to being, being able to do bigger things. That's just maturity. That's just the truth of maturity. Maturity is created over time. It's not given in a moment. Maturity is created over time. It's not given in a minute. When, when you are mature, it's because of a long time process of becoming mature. Great parents do this for their kids. We see this in youth ministry. Great parents prepare their kids for the things in the future. They prepare them for things in the future so that they're ready when it's time for them to handle it. It doesn't just happen all of a sudden. See, this is important because we'll believe the opposite a lot of times. We'll hear the opposite frankly a lot of times too. I'm 16 now. I should be able to drive. I'm 12 now. I should be able to have a phone You hear it constantly, but it's always not the case because you're just saying, well, now that I'm this age, I should be given the responsibility of somebody who can handle these things, and it's not always true. Let's throw it to you for a second. I'm 34 now. I should be able to, yeah, right, because you start filling things in. I'm 51. I demand the respect I deserve, this position, this place, the attention. I'm 63. Isn't it finally time somebody would? Maturity is created over time, it's not given in a minute. And when we demand it, we kind of butt up against the truth that just because we demand things doesn't mean that it happens. Just saying that we're mature doesn't, I'm going to go down that slide, that's me saying I'm mature, but that's not the truth of me actually going and doing it. It's just like driving. I mean, to, to talk about teens, it's just like driving, right? I mean, you don't drive just because now you want to, or just because now you're 16, here's the keys to the car, go for it. We had a GMC Astro van, you know, it sat like nine people, it was huge, it looked like a big box. Just because I was 16 didn't mean Dad was going to let me on the road with that tank to drive around wherever I wanted at all hours of the night. Driving goes through a process. It's maturity. You mature into the position of being a responsible driver. If you've got a cool dad, that means you're driving in a parking lot somewhere or he lets you drive the car up the driveway, awesome. And then you do things like, I remember getting uh, old enough, my legs got long enough, I could use the tractor out back for a while. And I would just do circles, mowing the lawn. That was my experience to begin driving. But that wasn't enough. I mean, for the state, for the government, you've got to walk in and you have to do your permit test. You're not just giving your permit. That shocked me when I went in to go get my permit. There's a test? Yeah. Did you study for it? Sure. Here we go. Let's try it this time. I passed, don't worry. But first you do your permit test and then you have your permit, you have to drive with somebody who has experience driving, who's over 18 and then once you've done your permit test then you have to do your road test and then you don't even get a full license. There's another shock, you get a junior license. You have to be home by 11 o'clock. And then you get your full license and it's not over, then you're 25 and you can finally rent a car. There's a shock, right? You didn't know that you thought the driving experience was over, now I'm, I got my full license, I'm done. No, we don't even trust you if you're 24, you've got to be 25 to rent a van. It happens over time. And if you've got great parents and you've got a great environment, that means it slowly comes to you. It's not just given in a moment. So here's a question. We're here on Sunday morning. This is about Jesus. This is our faith. Here's the question. Has your faith matured with you? Listen, you've grown older. Some of you know that more than the rest of us. You have grown older. You feel older, or you seem like you should be older, and now things have matured. Your emotions have matured. Your mind has matured. How you handle situations has matured. But here's the big question. Has your faith matured with you? I'm capable of so much more. That's fine. Has your faith matured with you? And I don't mean from when you were five. I mean from the very beginning, from when you were saved. If you've been saved for 10 years, has your faith matured with you? I talk to the teens, I say the same thing. I said, I know a lot of stuff is focused on your age. You get put in grades because of your age. You're allowed to do certain things because of your age. And that's fine, I said, but for the distinctions of your faith, when did you get saved? Have you matured since then? Even if it was six months ago, has anything happened? I mean, for us, it's a little different. Now I'm getting older, I mean, 20 years. 25 years since you were saved. 40 years since you were saved. 50 years since you were saved. Has your faith matured with you? You've been going after this for a long time. You've been following Jesus for a long time. Has your faith matured with you? Now, that seems obvious. I know, it's, it's like great youth message, like real obvious stuff. But it's not so obvious that it wasn't written about. The author of Hebrews actually takes time to write about this. And in Hebrews chapter 4, he begins to ask this question and say a few hard words to the people listening to him. He starts like this. There's much more we would like to say about this. You Look, it's Hebrews 5. Hebrews chapter four, man, and most of chapter five, he spent time talking about Jesus. He brings in terms like the priest of Melchizedek, and he's talking about some intricacies and the details of who Jesus is. He's really going for like four chapters, and then he hits the brakes here in verse 11, and he starts talking about this stuff. So, So there's so much more, it's this whole conversation he has. Man, I've been talking for a long time. And there's so much more I could say. There's so many other things I could bring to this conversation. But it's difficult to explain. That's just the nature of the Bible, right? It's difficult to explain. Especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. We translate this in a couple of different ways. Other translations have it like this. You are stupid. That doesn't sound like the Bible though, right? Let me just read it for fun, for a second. Especially, this is really difficult to explain, especially since you're stupid. You don't seem to listen. Good thing he's not talking about us, right? You're stupid. That doesn't sound like the Bible. That doesn't sound gentle, kind, nice, and caring. But this is what he's saying. It's because you're stupid. The other way to put it is sluggish. There has never been in the history of mankind somebody uh, has called somebody else a slug and said, oh, thank you for the compliment. I'm like a slug. Thank you. Nobody. Never. That's never been a compliment. You're like a slug. Not only sluggish, not just stupid, but also lazy. Listen. He's bringing in what this really is: is athletic language, which is you have tremendous potential, and it's not that you can't access it; it's that you won't access it. You're smart. You're skilled. You're talented. All those things. You really have the potential. You have the capacity—capacity to be so much more. But you're not. You refuse. In fact, he says it seems like you're not listening. It seems like I'm talking, right? Does every parent just like resonate with this right now? Be like, yes, thank you, yes. You just don't seem to listen. Your friends say it, it's one thing. I say it, and you just don't seem to listen. You can, your eardrums work, you just don't seem to listen. Now this is, bear with me, but what he's saying a little bit is is faith is not the church's job. Faith isn't the church's, listen, my faith, Kyle's faith, not pastor, not, not, not representative here. Kyle's faith isn't the church's job. I'm not going to be disappointed in the church in five years if I haven't grown. Because there's great messages, there's great worship. We take communion. We got Bible studies. We got ministries all over the place. And I tell this to the teens there's so many opportunities for you. But it's not the church's job. Listen, we we do a lot of we do a lot of great things, and what I tell the what I tell the leaders is this you can you can lead a horse to water, she can't make a drink. Listen, we can take teenagers, we can put them in small groups, we can, we can preach to them on Wednesday nights, we can do great worship, we can do great events, we can do great retreats, we can do great summer camps, we can do great trips, all this stuff. But if a team refuses to try, if a team refuses to apply themselves, they have the capacity, but they refuse, it's on them. Don't be down on yourself because what we try to create is an excellent environment. We are responsible to create a partnership with believers to grow their faith. But if you refuse to grow, At some point, you've got to turn around, look at yourself, and go, what am I doing? Where is this my responsibility? I mean, this, this author, this author, Hebrews, leave it there for a second. Listen, I'm preaching. I'm teaching this to you guys. You've been followers for a long time. You've been taking communion for a long time. You've been singing songs for a long time. You've been experiencing Jesus for a long time, but you don't seem to grow, and it's on you. You have the capacity. You have the potential, but you're not jumping forward faith isn't the church's job, but he continues, he says this, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. Now, you could fill in the basic things about God's word. What he's saying here, that the, the real words there are the oracles of God. So it's how God has revealed himself and what he has revealed about himself over a long period of time. You need to learn that stuff again. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. Here's another one, No one likes being called a slug. If you're not a baby and somebody calls you a baby, oh, I'm a baby, thank you. No one, no one, especially teenagers. You wanna have fun, come on Wednesday night and start calling some teens babies. Ah, you big baby. No, I'm not, I'm 15 and I am awesome. Just call them a baby for a second because it's not a compliment. You've got certain things about your life that you believe and if you're 15, especially. But just throw it into your world. If you're 40 something and we start saying, well, in some areas of your life, you're like a baby. There's no compliment there. There's a big challenge. He, he, here's what he's talking about. You've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others, but you need to be taught again the basic things. You need milk because you're like a baby. What he's saying is there's a natural progression to your faith. There's a natural progression, just like there's a natural progression to your emotions. Somebody hurts your feelings when you're young, you cry. Somebody hurts your feelings when you get older, you run to Facebook and tell everybody about it, right? That's just maturity. That's what we do. That's the, Now, eventually you don't cry because there's a progression there. And with your faith, it's the same thing. As you get older, your faith progresses. Look, it's okay to start immature. All of us have had minute one of being saved. If you're a believer here, there's been a moment in time where it's been your first minute being saved, and you are exactly what immature is, young in the faith. And that's okay. But over time, those things should change. Look, I I wrote this next slide right before we went on a retreat, which was right before we had our, uh, our fourth child, George. Um, so if this comes off as me coming at him, I'm not. I love George. But think about babies for a second and all that they offer. They're pretty useless, right? It sounds terrible. I know. I'm sorry. Stay with me. Stay with me. I love him. I love, I love George. He's two weeks old. Crazy about him. Sometimes we just watch him because he's beautiful and wonderful. But please think about this for a second. He's useless. I try to get breakfast for the other kids. And what's George doing? Crying. I try to get everybody changed and ready for school. And What's going on with George? Crying. I mean, li- just look at a list of things that George can't do. George can't do this. Babies, let me take it off George so that way we feel better. Babies can't eat. If you don't feed a baby, what happens to a baby? They just sit there and cry, they don't do anything. If you don't, if, listen, if a baby messes itself, you know what a baby needs to be done, needs done to it, it needs to be changed. If a baby creates a mess, it has no idea what to do next. If you don't clothe a baby, what will a baby do? Just be naked and cry. Or stay in some filthy clothes for a long time and do nothing and cry. Babies don't know how to walk. You have to teach babies how to walk. They're incapable of bearing their own weight, putting their feet together, balancing their bodies, and progressing forward. They can't walk. They can't talk. I say this to the kids. It, it makes them laugh every time. It makes me laugh. George will be crying. He's sitting there. And Calvin and one of the kids will come up and go, what's the matter? And they'll, It's like they're earnestly asking him. And I say, hey, bud, listen, you keep asking that, but George doesn't speak English. I mean, he, you know, eventually, I said, but listen, he's listening to you, but he doesn't get the English language right now. He doesn't know what you're saying. He's screaming because that's the only thing he knows. That's the only way he knows to communicate. It's all he's got. He doesn't know how to talk. Babies don't know how to rest. This may be the most infuriating thing for me personally. (sighs) Babies get tired, right? This isn't George. I love you, George, if you're watching this 15 years in the future. I love George. Doesn't know, exhausted, right? Needs to go to sleep, but is way too tired to rest, to calm down and sleep. So then gets more tired and now absolutely needs sleep. And the only solution is sleep. And the only thing he doesn't know how to do is sleep. No idea how to rest. Entertain themselves. Babies don't know how to entertain themselves. That's why you put colorful toys and mobiles and you got to talk to them and be with them because they don't know how to entertain themselves. Listen, believers who are young in the faith, believers who are immature, don't know how to Feed themselves, change themselves and they've made a mess, clothe themselves. I mean, just read the scripture, right? Clothe yourself in righteousness, put on the armor of God. They don't know how to do that. They don't know how to walk in faith, walk in righteousness. They don't know how to communicate, speaking the truth to one another or saying what's wrong. They don't know how to rest. Young believers don't know how to rest. They don't know how to rest in the Lord. Young believers don't know how to do a lot of things. Being immature in the faith means you don't know how to do... A lot of things. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. If, if, if a baby doesn't know how to do those things, it's fine. If you're 18 and you don't do these things, there's a problem, right? If you're 18 sitting at the table going, hungry, 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 it's pretty weird, right? In fact, they've probably got shows on TLC about that. My strange son at 18 refuses to eat. If you're 18, you refuse to change yourself. You refuse to cl- you forget. You refuse to walk. You have to push. It's going to get strange because we expect you to grow. Listen, as you progress, as your faith progresses, expectations should progress as well. We don't expect you to do the same things where you're at now from where you were in the beginning. Expectations should progress. You ought to be teachers by now, but you've been believers for so long. You ought to be, but you're not. You need it again. These expectations should grow. Listen, if a baby doesn't do their taxes, we don't, we don't put a baby in jail. But if you don't do your taxes, there's a whole part of the government that's coming for you. Not only do they want your money, but you're going to be punished for it. Expectations are different. We don't expect babies to do the same things that adults do. For someone who lives on milk, he talks about this way forward. He doesn't just beat him over the head with this. He doesn't just come down on him with this hard talk. He doesn't just be kind by being brutally honest. Man, he gives him a way forward, which I love God, I love Jesus, I love the Bible, gives us a graceful way forward. For someone who lives on milk, who is still an infant, who has expectations that are low, and doesn't know how to do what is right. That's the the biggest thing for people who are young. It's a struggle to connect what they hear, what they say they believe, what they know to be true, and then to go do it. And let's be fair, how many of us have taken so long to connect, I know this is right. I know in this moment I should probably say this. It's hard to say it. I shouldn't go there anymore. I shouldn't go there anymore. It's really difficult to not go there. It's really a struggle for me to not go say this. But to then go do it is completely different. That is the growth right there. To know what's true, to know what I should do, and then actually have the bravery to go and do it. Here's the plan. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. He brings this kind of athletic imagery, these athletic words back again, because he said it in the beginning, and he's back at it here. Solid food is for those who are mature, and mature people have trained themselves to have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Not just recognize, but to admit, and then follow through. Nobody has, the, uh, nobody has or had the uh, the commitment to practice like Kobe Bryant. He was known for his competitiveness, for his passion uh, to be the best in the game. Now, he died recently, but there's been stories that have been coming out um, about him, and no matter how you feel about him as a person, what his commitment was towards in basketball and how committed he was and his drive to be committed to basketball was second to none. And stories have been coming out. One of the stories is, and I printed it off, man, I want to read the story because It's hard to believe, I'm tempted to change the story because of how hard it is to believe what Kobe says and does. Over two legendary decades in professional basketball, countless stories have been recounted about Kobe Bryant's unparalleled dedication to and obsession with perfection, which is that word right there. Solid food is for those who are perfect, who are complete, who are mature. His obsession with perfection. Gerald Henderson added another one to the fabled list Thursday when the Portland Trailblazers swingman wrote about his first professional encounter with Bryant. As Henderson tells it, he observed Bryant getting some pregame shots up, but Kobe was uncharacteristically bricking more of them than he was making, which if I'm playing against Kobe Bryant, that would have been exciting, right? Hey, we got a chance to win this thing. All of a sudden, I look up, and Kobe has stopped shooting. Henderson wrote, he was holding the ball on his hip and motioning to the sideline with the other. According to Henderson, a maintenance crew came with a ladder and a measuring tape, stormed the court, and began to work on the net Bryant had been shooting on with Kobe gesturing to them. It's too low, Bryant later said to Henderson. The rim's a quarter of an inch too low. If you hear me say that on Wednesday nights when I'm playing with the teens, it's probably a great excuse. Oh, the, the, the rim's too low. The rim's too low. The ball's out of batteries, you know. That's why I'm not shooting well right now. If I heard that, I'd be like, sure, Kobe. Sure, it's a quarter of an inch too low. It would have been one thing. Three inches too low. Oh, okay. A quarter of an inch too low is affecting you. After the game, the Bobcats rookie, Gerald Henderson, asked one of the maintenance workers about the pregame commotion and was subsequently told that the net had to be adjusted to the standard 10-foot height. Then he told me how much it was off by. I could tell you his answer, but I think you already know what he said. How did Kobe Bryant know the rim was off a quarter of an inch? He had practiced so much. Listen, he had shot so many shots. He had perfected playing. He had perfected the motion of putting a basketball through hoop that a quarter of an inch was recognizable to him. Man, in our faith, in our faith, is a quarter of an inch recognizable to you? can we recognize the difference in a quarter of an inch in our faith? Have we, go back, have we practiced so much that we see the little things? Have Have we gone through so much training that we have the skill to recognize the little gray areas between what's right and what's wrong, and then the ability to go and do it? Listen, you've sat through a lot of messages, you've sang a lot of songs, you've taken communion a lot of times, you've done a lot of Bible studies, you know a lot of believers awesome. But that's all activity. That's not willing to see and then do what is right. That's maturity. Well, I'm not getting something out of this. I'm going to go to this different podcast, and then I'm going to really absorb that. And then I'm going to go to these three other Bible studies. All activity, if you're not doing what you know is right, and the progression from immature to mature, the author of Hebrews writes, is when you know what's right, and then you go off and do what is right. Someone who lives on milk is an infant. Those know how to do it that's the mature those who are mature discipleship is a process it is not a program it's a process it's not a program we we beg sixth grade sixth grade small group leaders to please hang with us I start off and I say listen when you want to quit okay two months in maybe two weeks in. when you want to quit come see me I'll pat you on the back and send you right back in there okay that's as much encouragement as I can give you it is a process it is not one night it is not two nights frankly It's not their sixth grade year. You're just building a lot of trust and a relationship to the point that they can grow. We just beg them, hold on, hold on, because change is coming, because it's not a 6.30 to eight, a couple of good songs, a great message, fantastic group questions, maybe a little fun game in the middle, and see you next week because your faith just grew. Man, it's Monday through Saturday, hearing the truth and then going off and trying to do it. It is a process over time not a program. Here's what we often hear. I wrote some of the things down that we hear that we look at as immature and then uh, a little bit of a growth towards maturity. Immature, no one's there. I said this driving in maybe that van that I mentioned earlier on 5th Street from the gas station towards church. I was in the van with my dad saying, no one's going to be there tonight. It was Wednesday night or something. Nobody's going to be there tonight. I don't want to be there. And my dad turned to me going, Kyle, you have a large youth ministry of 60 kids, okay? Huge. you got a large youth ministry of 60 kids. No one's going to be there tonight. It's going to be you, Pastor Chris, and the four walls. No one? No one's going to be there? You're the only one that's going to show up tonight? No, there's probably going to be other people there. Okay. The van didn't turn around. We just kept going. My dad was driving me towards maturity. My dad was driving me towards maturity. What I meant was there was nobody there who was going to make me feel comfortable. I walked in the doors every Wednesday night and went, Okay, I'm ready to be ministered to. Take care of me. Do your thing, Pastor Chris. Preach to me. Band, I want to hear songs I like. Let's go. Preach to me. Let's go no one's going to be there to make me feel comfortable. The race from immaturity to maturity happens when we turn around and go, who can I build up? You've been believers so long now, you ought to be teaching others. Who can I build up? Who can I turn around and go, hey, come with me. I know where you've been before. I know this is scary. This is not my first night. I'll show you what's going on. Immaturity. I'm not being fed. I'm not being fed. I said that. Let me, we talked about this with teens plenty of times. Listen, On Wednesday nights, we target people who have not been to church a whole lot. We target the community. We target people who don't know the good things about Jesus Christ. We call that night the taste and see that the Lord is good. So if you're in like 10th grade, 11th grade, if you're starting to hear teens at home, here's some help. If you're hearing your teen at home, 10th, 11th grade, go, I don't know if Wednesday nights are doing it for me anymore. That's awesome. That is great because that means that they are maturing beyond the basic things of God. We spend a lot of times on a lot of time on Wednesday nights talking to people who haven't been around a whole lot about the truth of God. God offers a better way in your friendships. God offers a better way in your character. God offers a better way. And over time, once you hear God offers a better way, you kind of want to go off and do it. And right around 10th, 11th, 12th grade, they want to start adding value and doing it. And so if you're growing and you're not being fed, that's okay. That means you're going beyond the basics. What don't I know? I was challenged with this in high school or uh, college. Uh, listening to messages two, three times a day, going to classes with the Bible, and somebody going, kylan you, you haven't heard this lesson before. You haven't read this book before. there's So there's something here that you don't know. Maturity is humility. Maturity is humility to look and go, what don't I know? What could I learn in this moment? Finally, I'm such a loser. I struggled with this for a long time. I'm such a loser. If I'm not growing or if I've grown, but this is bad about me, or even if this one little part about me is wrong or bad or I can't seem to get over it, that must mean that there's something broken in me. I'm a loser, and I don't deserve to be here, and God probably hates me. Man, that's a huge doorway for the enemy to walk in and go, that's right, you are a loser, and for the rest of your life, you should give up this believer thing and stop messing with Jesus. It's a great one that he tries with the teenagers all the time. That's right, you're a loser. You should try to find a way out of this because this doesn't mean anything. You're not a loser. Where can I grow? Who can I grow with? Who can help me as I grow? Because being a, a, looking at yourself and saying, I'm a loser, is short-sighted. It's short-sighted. It's emotional, but you can't let those things run you. Truth has to insert itself there. So here's two questions. I love questions. I think questions drive, drive home and, and, and get us thinking and meditating. Here's two questions. I want to go over them a couple of times. One, how old are you? How old are you? I'm not asking your age. Ladies, don't mean to offend. Not asking your age, okay? How long have you been a believer? When was it that you got saved? How how long have you been following after Jesus? How long have you been listening? How long have you been in a relationship with Jesus Christ? Two, where are your expectations? Are your expectations of you, of your faith, of, of your walk with Jesus the same expectations you had when you first started? If the expectations you have of yourself are at the same level as when you first started with Jesus, they're inappropriate. You're capable of doing so much more, and you begin to miss out on what there really is. Let me put it this way, too. How old are you? If you're new in the faith, and you've got way too high expectations of yourself, you are going to constantly feel defeated. You are going to constantly feel like a loser. That's why the Bible even says, look, people new in the faith, don't put them in leadership positions of leadership because they've got a lot of growing to do. Don't put it on yourself that you should be some hallmark, hall of fame uh, saint that everybody should look at. How old are you? If you've been after this for a long time, and you look at some people who are immature, who aren't far along in the faith, show some grace. Teenagers should be reading their Bible every single night, praying twice a day, doing Bible studies with people. Did you? When you were 15, did you? I can tell you I didn't. I ended up being a pastor. At 15, no way. I didn't have the self-discipline for somebody to go, that guy's going to be a pastor someday. You wouldn't have looked at my life, my private discipline life that everybody measured by and go, that guy's going to be a pastor. I had some people around me go, Kyle's a bit of a loud mouth, okay? He's a bit proud, okay? All these bits are just being very gracious, okay? He's a bit different, okay? But he's allowed to grow here. He's allowed to be young. And I had the tremendous benefit, and that's what I mean by the faith isn't the church's job. Listen, we can lead you to water, we can set up a gym with, with a great snack shop and great ministries and stuff, but if you don't want to go, I had people around me to go, we're going to set up this great environment, and we are going to invite you in on this long journey. Listen, if you've been far on, the, if you're far on in the faith, if you've been doing this for a long time, I mean, isn't there just somebody you can turn around, and instead of devaluing, instead of mocking, instead of staying away from, instead of saying, come on, you can turn around and say, hey, come with me, I've been there before. If a baby's crying, you don't walk up to it and go, hey, knock it off. What is that going to do for the baby? Nothing. One, it's not going to stop it from crying. It'll probably encourage it to cry more. And two, it doesn't solve any of the problems that the baby has, and it doesn't train the baby to do the things it needs to do, like eat and sleep and clothe. It doesn't do anything. If we cannot devalue but turn around instead and bring them along with us, man, we're really getting somewhere. In fact, you're going to see this around the church a lot. It says, uh, it says uh, growing people of all ages. Our mission, what we're trying to do is growing people of all ages to a mature faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, if I go back to the lake, if I go back to the pond, if I go back to Pine Haven and I expect to have a great time, I'm going to be disappointed. But you know what's true? It's going to be Calvin's first time and I can help him. Listen, I can't swim for him But I can train him to the point that when he comes down the slide, he doesn't drown. He swims to the edge, and I celebrate with him. I can celebrate. If we go back to Pine Haven and we stand there at the pond of the lake, yeah, maybe I'm not going to have a great time going down the slide. You do it once, it's going to become awkward, okay? Like nostalgic maybe, but like, who's this dad going down the kid's slide? Uh, He's reliving old memories. What a weirdo, okay? But it's going to be one of my kids' first time. I can cheer them on. I mean I can move on to the point that I go listen I've been doing this for a long time. I can swim. The slide doesn't impress me. But for you it's your first time and I'm going to cheer you on as you walk up, as you come down and as you swim to the side. I'm not going to expect this to entertain me anymore. I'm not going to expect this to fill me up. Instead, my purpose, my value has changed in this moment. Growing people of all ages to a mature faith in Jesus Christ. Your individual maturity will have significant consequences on the present and future of this church. We'll create a fantastic legacy in student ministry. If we can have believers, teenagers who are believers, turning around and instead of going, this is my place, what are they doing here? Instead going, oh, this is awesome, I'm so glad you're here. This is going to be incredible. Let me show you how it goes. We'll start growing people of all ages to a mature faith in Jesus Christ. Not just faith, not just a little bit, not just eh, some faith. Gabe and I talk all the time, man, we hope, we pray, we hope we work towards that when teenagers walk in and then they walk out their senior year, things are completely different because their faith has matured in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us.